Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I want to share with you a message uh, from Isaiah chapter 6, which very much parallels the situation in our lives today. Uh, it happens, it says in the beginning, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been king of Jerusalem and Israel for 52 years. And in fact, he was a true king, unlike any other since you know David. Very good, prosperous. He had subdued his enemies, developed the country economically. His fame, it says in scripture, spread far and wide. Everything was secure. And uh, when he dies, uh, it's like the future dies with him. And the empire of Assyria, which is the enemies of Israel, are is pushing closer and closer. And a lot of fears and anxieties in the air. And it's really much like today in the midst of our pandemic, in the midst of this global recession in which we find ourselves and amidst of all the turmoil happening around racial injustice uh, and other factors, a gap between rich and poor widening. But in this time of massive uh, uh, upheaval, God meets Isaiah. Isaiah uh, sees a throne and he sees God on it, not Uzziah or any other earthly king. He sees God. And even though the Assyrian Empire is conquering in the Mideast at that time, uh, he sees a God who, who rules, and and you've got this picture of God high and exalted. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah gets this incredible vision of the Lord Almighty who has actual control over all of history. And it's a towering throne, and God sits in a relaxed, not anxious way. And uh, it makes the point that the whole earth is full of his glory, and God meets us in all kinds of places, even in a pandemic. And, uh, and so uh, this message is going to talk about God and his glory and how important and how we can see him in his glory. And then it talks about stumps. Uh, stumps are like the end of a tree. It's like a bottom of a tree stump. It's ugly. It's not beautiful. It doesn't seem to be doing anything. Uh, nothing's growing out of it, apparently. But it, 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 there's a text in this text and his vision. He, he's not just a throne. He, God gives him a vision of a of a stump in the land, but out of that stump is going to come something holy. And the latter part of the message is going to talk about how if we're going to receive God and know God, we've got to see him in the stumps, in the ugliness, in things that look like death. Uh, and if we don't, we end up trying to take charge of God and making him our servant. But if we can get a glimpse of God on both the throne and in stumps, it can transform how we look at life. And so my prayer is that this message today will give you a glimpse and a revelation of God on the throne, much like Moses had in the desert and John uh, the Apostle had in uh, on Patmos and Paul in Arabia and now Isaiah. And so God's full of surprises, everyone. And uh, my prayer is that as you'll look at Isaiah to hear about Isaiah's response to God's invitation and how it launched him into a life, uh, extraordinary life of, as a prophet. Uh, the most read prophet, quoted prophet of Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, he had a ministry of 30, 40, 50 years and endured decades. And to this day, today, out of revelation that he got of God on the throne in the stump. And I pray the same will happen to us uh, in these days, that we'll have a revelation of God and in the same way be a gift to the world around us. So uh, may the Lord bless you as you read, listen to this uh, message that has really shaped my life over the years. And I pray it does the same for you. God bless you. Please be seated. Right, go with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Today we're actually beginning a series, a new series. And if you've been around a while, you know we begin a series at New Life. 
that means uh, we could be here for a while. <laughs> and uh, one of the ways we choose series is, of course, trying to discern what's God saying and doing, but also always seeking to give a balanced biblical diet, you know, and, and making sure we're not just doing hobby horses, and therefore we choose certain, like we, do, we just did parables, and, and uh, we've done the Beatitudes, we did the life of Elijah and Moses, but now we're going to do a series on, on the major prophets, books that often people do not read. In fact, I want to encourage you to begin reading in Isaiah. We're going to spend probably four or five weeks as we're starting out here in Isaiah. Then we're going to move uh, to uh, Jeremiah and then to uh, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel. So it's just that they're tremendous. Uh, we're try- I'm going to try that we don't get lost in them. You know, you get buried and never come out. Uh, but there's such tremendous truth uh, and revelation in these books. I-, I pray that we have a great, uh, great time. I-, I know we will. Uh, the-, the title of the series is Things Are Not As They Appear. That's what we'll call it, for now anyway. It could change. And uh, there are all kinds of interesting people in it. And I'm talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But today we're going to begin with Isaiah in chapter 6. And, and really with Isaiah's experience of God. Uh, he has such a powerful moment here in Isaiah 6 that it shapes his entire life. And actually his path with God in this chapter is actually meant to be the path that all of Israel was to follow. And actually all of us for all of history. And, uh, and it really has to do with God on the throne and God in the stump. And that's really our title this morning. It's the throne and the stump. Got it? The throne and the stump. That's what I want you to leave here uh, by the end of our, of our time. But before I read, I want you to note it, it starts by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died. That's how it starts out. And I want to pause before I read the rest of the chapter by just stopping there. In the year that King Uzziah died to give you a sense of what that meant in that culture. Now think back with me of 9-11, the World Trade Center, Pentagon being attacked. And actually this past week, I was in Lower Manhattan, you know, visited one of the memorials there. I was very moved. It brought me back, you know, just 10 miles from here. Uh, and if you, if you remember that day or those weeks following, the very foundations of our city and of the country, uh, of, our, of our sense of security was really shaken. I mean, it, w- it was like, how could this ever happen? I mean, how could these two uh, skyscrapers be attacked? We're the greatest military in the world, a st- you know, the superpower at least, you know, somewhat, and yet attacked. There, there was such a sense of vulnerability that, uh, you know, for the next few weeks, if you remember, we were all looking over our shoulder. You know, like you didn't know what was coming next because there was such a, a sense of instability. There was, a, there, was a, there was a sense of panic. The security was everywhere. We have some police officers here, and some of you were working that time. They were working day and night. Bridges, tunnels, subways. Uh, our way of life was just shaken up. And uh, no one quite knew what was going to happen next. Now, history teaches us many lessons, but one of which is this, that every superpower will be shaken and eventually fall. It's a lesson of history. There is no superpower that's ever lasted on earth. So it may happen in 50 years, 100 years, 200, 300, 500 years, but at some point, uh, even our country uh, will fall if Jesus does not delay. Only the kingdom of God will last forever. So imagine the World Trade Center and the, that, that day, 9-11, happening in 100 cities in the United States all at one time. That's how they experienced King Uzziah's death. That's how shaken things were at that moment. Or just think of last fall when the recession kicked in with enormous force 
and you know, Lehman Brothers and, and all the financial catastrophes that were going on and in the financial markets and this global crisis that came, it, apparently for most of us who are not in the financial markets, it came out of nowhere. And the dollar, just the stock market, the dollar was in a free fall. Now, I'm not a person deeply invested in the stock market, but I do have a little IRA. And all I know is it was cut in half. I was, I was like years of putting a little bit aside, and it was gone. And all I can remember is a friend of mine used to live in Russia when Russia went from communism to a capitalist market. And basically, the rubble was worthless. And he said the, the great shock, it was almost a revolution because people lost their entire life savings basically overnight. And um, they were, all of a sudden, people who were middle class were now in poverty, and there was no getting out of it. And I think we all felt that as trillions of dollars were wiped out overnight. And it just seemed like, how could this be possible? And I remember, I, I remember some folks pulling out their retirement funds and, and you know, getting out of the stock market, and there was a real sense of panic. But that's what it was like in the year that King Uzziah died. They were the foundations of Israel at that time was shaken, and no one knew quite what was coming. Now, it may be for some of you in this room, your personal life is crumbling. I mean, you, you have had the rug pulled out from you, and uh, you're in great suffering today. And you can't seem to make sense of it all. You don't know where it's all going. Again, it may be an illness. It may be a divorce. It may be a death of someone you've loved. Uh, it could be a dream that sh that's been shattered, or your family not working out the way you dreamed. It could be the end of a relationship. It could be many things. But you yourself are, having, are being shaken. Your life is shaking right now. And it's the year that King Uzziah died. Now, with that context, I want to read the passage. Because it begins by, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Isaiah has this vision. I'm going to read the whole 13 verses because it's such a tremendous section of Scripture. But I'm going to actually focus on the first two or three and then the last verse 13, which talks about the stump. Throne and stump. That's kind of the, the bracket of this great, great passage, all right? So let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 6, hang in there with me. Try to picture it and imagine it with me. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, before I read it. Oh, sorry, sorry, one last thing. Isaiah had been the king for 52 years. And they say he was, there was no one like him since Solomon. And he was, he was, uh, he was very good. He was powerful. He was extremely prosperous. Uh, he had subdued all of his enemies he had developed the country economically. His, he was famous far and wide. Everything was secure when King Uzziah was ruling. But now that he had died, the, the, uh, the enemies of Israel, Assyria, the empire of Assyria was now pressing in and was ready for an attack. And so there was tremendous fear now shaking the country of that the whole place is going to go down. And you can imagine in those days what that must have been like to be there. And so here's Isaiah. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, some kind of angelic beings, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he, had, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the hearts of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, well, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps, is that word, stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. All right, you got it? The throne and the stump. Now, it begins with the throne. Isaiah sees a throne, everything's shaken around him, and God is on it. It's not Uzziah. It's not any earthly king. The Assyria empire is racing towards Jerusalem, conquering the Mideast at that time. Country after country is falling, but it's God who rules, and he rules in holiness. And it says, holy, holy, holy is the big word emphasized. This word holy refers to God as other. He is he's above. He is majestic. He is high and exalted. And he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. When it says three times in Hebrew, holy, 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 it's like saying super duper, super, super. Okay, it's like you can't say super, super anymore in Hebrew than saying it three times. Holy, holy, holy. It's like, it's like the maximum. Like he is so other. He is, this is God, and, and, and he is God of God of all the gods. And uh, he deserves to be called holy or set apart. And his glory fills the whole earth. And he is utterly incomparable. He, he's the first word of history. He will be the last. And he is completely different than anything you imagine him to be. He is not the great grandfather in the sky. He's not like the Greek gods of Zeus. He is the Lord Almighty, verse 3. And that word Lord Almighty is he has a grip. Almighty means God has a grip on all of history. He is the Lord Almighty. And... Um, he, he, he's got a handle and control of all historical events. And he sees, Isaiah sees this high and towering throne with a train of his robe filling the temple. And what's interesting is he's, God is sitting on the throne. Verse 1, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. He's not, he's not anxious. He's not uptight that Assyria is marching toward Jerusalem. He's not freaking out that Uzziah has died. And the economy is probably headed for a tank. But the nations are a drop in the bucket. Comes out later in Isaiah. In fact, it says later in Isaiah, God says, the nations are like an errand boy for me. And just think of the United States, Great Britain, Indonesia, Peru, China, Kenya, Egypt. Just, just think of the Iran, Cairo. I mean, these are a drop in the bucket to God. But it's God who rules and he sits on that throne. That's, that's the image here. And at the will of God is the ultimate power of the universe. And it will be accomplished. 
Nothing's going to stop that king from ruling, our God. And our very existence, your very breath is sustained by God who sits on that throne. And he's the very source of our lives. And so when we wonder, well, I don't get it. I mean, all these bad things are happening. The wicked seem to prosper. The good seem to suffer. And I don't know, are you really ruling? And, and what, what, this, what, what this is saying here, Isaiah is saying, is, is his vision is that, yeah, yeah, God is on the throne. And he is not uptight. He is sitting on the throne. And he is the Lord Almighty. He's got all of this world and history and your life and mine in a grip. He is beyond you and me. You can't figure him out. You will never wrap your arms around how big he is. He is too big for you to get a handle on what he's doing. All you can do and I can do is as his creatures, we fall down and we worship. Whether we understand what he's doing or not, whether we like what he's doing or not. But when it says... The whole earth, verse 3, is full of his glory. I want you to catch this. The whole earth is filled with his presence and his glory. He meets you and me in the most surprising, strange places. Even the bathroom sometimes. He met Moses. Moses in, 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 in a bush, in a, in a burning bush in, in the desert. Moses had been, a, his life was a failure. He was in a hard country in the desert. He was having a hard life. He was having a hard job and all his failure. He'd lost everything, and, and, and God's there. You know, John, the apostles, as a prisoner in Patmos, in this island in the middle of nowhere, rejected and exiled, God shows up. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's in your classroom. You're, you're a teacher here today or administrator. God's in that place. whole earth is full of his glory. There's no place exempt from his glory where his presence dwells. I don't care if you're a student or an administrator or a teacher. I don't care whether you're a city worker with the police or, or sanitation or working in some office. He's in the bureaucracy and the inefficiency and the ornery boss pushing paper. He's in the mental health profession. He's in the medical profession. He's with your clients. He's in the middle of you meeting with a patient. He's on the unemployment line. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And, and, and he invites us to experience him. He actually invites us to experience him on the throne and him alive. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Even while you're texting, some of you are texting right now, <laughs> texting, or you're tweeting, or you're watching television, or you're driving the car or riding the subway, or you're reading a book. Wherever we are, whatever you're doing, the whole earth is filled with his glory, and he sits on the throne. And so here Isaiah sees his vision of the throne. Holy God, he's so different and other, and he's, he's struck, and he goes, oh, my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips, and, he, and, and, and then God forgives him. And then Isaiah says, he's so overwhelmed by forgiveness. He goes, okay, Lord, you know, God says, whom will I send? He goes, Isaiah's like, I'll, I'll go, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, and then he gets this bad news. And Lord, he says yes to God, he volunteers. And, and then God, in verse you know, 9 following, says, okay, now here's what you're going to do, Isaiah. Basically says this, for the next 50 years, you're going to preach, but no one's going to listen. You're going to get some access to kings, and, you know, but they're going to ignore you. And uh, people are going to go to sleep in your church. And uh, you're going to be a very unsuccessful preacher for the next 50 years. And, uh, and then Isaiah says in verse 11, but, but for how long? You know? and, uh, and then God says, until the whole country is reduced to stumps. Until the whole country is wiped out, which is going to be 100 years after he dies. Now, how is that for encouragement? 
And then he gives this great word. He says, he goes, you're gonna, this is, this is, you're gonna keep going. Or this is gonna, this is gonna happen. You're, until the holy seed. He says a verse, look at the following, verse 13. So the holy seed, the terebinth and oak is gonna leave stumps. The whole country is gonna become a stump, but the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now, you gotta get this. Now, now here's a, here's a stump. It's a pretty good stump, actually. Okay, so there, there, there's your stump, and there's all the other trees. Now, I don't know about you. I like these trees. This doesn't do much for me. But there's a throne, and, and there's a stump. Now, you've got to catch both. You see, the stump represents death. Something's been cut down. It's over. A, a stump is the end of the tree. And a stump is ugly. It's just not a pretty thing. Do you want a yard full of stumps? And what, what, what the Lord says here is that it's from the stump, the unlikely of all places, that a holy seed of salvation is going to come forth. And we get offended by a stump. I, I don't want the stump. But the, it says in actually chapter 11, it unfolds, it says, no, the very Messiah himself, a shoot is going to come from the stump of Jesse. The Messiah is going to come out of that stump. So you got a throne... But you've got a stump, and you've got both. Now, the kingdom, this goes back to really the kingdom of God. Remember, it's like a mustard seed. It's insignificant. It's small. It appears defeated. But it's like Jesus' ministry. It was almost imperceptible to find the kingdom of God in Jesus. I mean, it was almost invisible. Here's Jesus born in a manger. This is a stump. This is God of the universe in a manger. And these 12 disciples, he gets started at 30 years old. He's got these 12 guys who are really, you know, shaky. This is a stump. And, uh, you know, very unqualified, so few of them, just 12. And, and Jesus didn't, didn't look very powerful. He didn't look like the oak trees you're seeing in the picture behind me. It wasn't like Rome, the Roman Empire, their armies, or the Athenian brilliance in Athens, and, or Corinth with their phenomenal buildings, no powerful armies. It's like, I mean, my, uh, the great tension I, I realized for myself, too, my, my whole life as a Christian is, I, I, I don't want a stump. I, I want a tree, not the stump. I like the throne, but I don't want the stump. And spent many years trying to, you know, let's make new life, not a stump. Again, let's buy up Queens Boulevard. We'll show them. Let's get some signs and wonders in here. Raising the dead, we'll show them. Not that I'm against that or at all. But Christianity is, I want Christianity anything but a stump. It's humiliating. And again, like Jesus said, it's the smallness of the stump is what's it's just scandalous. So, so let me ask, like a mustard seed, let me ask you here, okay? Let me ask you two questions. Where in your life is it hard for you to believe that God is on the throne? Right now. Well, what's going on? Where, where in your life is it hard to believe that God is on the throne? And then secondly, what stumps are in your life that you resent? That you find ugly? Stumps are ugly that you want to get rid of. You just want to get rid of this stump. It just doesn't belong here. It's a pain in the neck. Now let me just throw out a few possibilities. Think about it. You, get, you lose your job. And maybe your boss was a jerk. It was actually even unfair. And you find yourself in this transition in your life, betrayed, and it's a stump. And it can feel like nothing is happening. 
But see, God is on the throne. And his glory fills the whole earth. If you see him on the throne, you're okay with the stump. Or think of your marriage. And I know a couple of marriages here. It's just awful right now. It's awful. It's a stump. It's ugly. And you find yourself in great pain and difficulty. It's your stump. And you scorn the person. You're looking at your spouse right now and you're saying, stump. (laughs) Stump. Or maybe your parents are your stump. You're going to write them a letter when this service is over. No, don't write them that letter. So what does it mean that God is on the throne when your parents are a stump? Or how about your children are a stump? How about your whole family's a stump? (laughs) Some of you, singleness is a stump. You didn't sign up for this. You expect to be married by now. Or maybe you can't stand your job. You hate your job. Your boss is your stump. And they say, I'm just a teacher, a social worker. You know, God says, no, no, I'm on the throne. I've called you there, creating and shaping, making life beautiful. Or again, I can go on. Maybe you're in a difficult relationship. What's interesting, you know, difficult, any, any difficult relationship, absolutely. When it's great pain and you've been close to somebody, it's a stump. You just want to get rid of this stump. You just want it to go away. Because wherever God is on that throne, he ain't in the stump. What's interesting here is that Israel's stump is a result of their sin, in this case anyway. I mean, the reason the country was raised by, eventually by the Assyrians was because of their, and the Babylonians was because of their sin, their rebellion against God. So some of you, you have a stump, you actually, you're in this mess because of decisions you've made, which makes it even worse. And then you're surrounded by a field of stumps. And, uh, but you want, want, you want to guess this, verse 13, right? Oh, I'm sorry. The holy seed will be the stump in the land. You got to hear this. The seed is in the stump because God is on the throne. And that stump is fertile and rich for God to move and be active because the earth is full of his glory and he is on the throne, if you'll let him. You see, it's like a compost pile, you know. Think of the way we grow in Christ. The way we grow in Christ is one big stump for me. I mean, I had these great moments of elation, and I'm sure you do too. Once I get swept up in glory, it's, it's oh, you know, in these seasons, it's just easy. It's tremendous to be a Christian. You're like, why isn't everybody a Christian? You know, but for the most part, you know what? Spending time cultivating your life in Christ, you know, getting up, spending some time in prayer and the words early, and you're like, oh, it's a stump, you know. And you're like, am I going anywhere? Am I getting anything out of this? You're in worship this morning, you got a headache, you're hungry, you're like, oh, I'm here, you know. And you're cultivating this walk with Christ, but it's so slow. It just feels like a big stump. And you said, you know what? I signed up for oak trees, not a stump. And your temptation is to say, I'm out of here. It's not getting me the fruit and the results that I signed up for. You see, and so you find yourself disoriented so often in this life. You're desperate. You feel like your way is blocked. But unless you see, and I see that God is on the throne, you know what happens? And the whole earth is is filled with his glory. You hate that stump. You resent it. You want to get get an ax out. You want to chop it. Or if you've got a stump in your backyard, you want to hire a bulldozer and bulldoze it out 
and pave over it so it's not there anymore. You want it out of your life at all costs. And in fact, what you might do is you may pave over it, and then you're going to build a skyscraper that you never think of it again, and that nobody will remind you of it again, because you don't want, that your life, your whole life is getting rid of stumps. You've got a whole construction company going to get rid of your stumps. People that you've gotten rid of. You know, I don't like being sidelined by stumps. See, stumps get in my way. I'm going through life, and here I got a stump, and it's in the way. I kick it. I, they're hard to get rid of. And, uh, and they get in my way of my plans a lot. Have you found that out? And you really wonder at that point, is God running the universe? If he was running the universe, there wouldn't be all these stumps in my life. And uh, not something I want in my world anyway, it doesn't seem like God's orchestrating things very well. But I want you to hear this truth. The throne, there is a throne in every stump. There is. And uh, I was talking to one of our agricultural geniuses here at New Life, Russ Nitschman, <laughs> who reminded me, as I asked him this week, that the shoots that come out of stumps to make new trees have tremendous power to them because of the deep root system. And so it would take five years of growth out of a uh, stump, just takes one or two. It would normally do two or three feet of growth if it comes out of a stump, that two or three feet is really 12 to 15 because of the power of the root system. Very interesting. So when we talk about God sitting on a throne, I'm not talking about being passive. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, yes, we exercise prudence and we do what we can, absolutely. But we, we're, we're a people like Isaiah Everything's shaking around us, but we hold on to that vision and reality that God is sitting relaxed on the throne, and he is not anxious. The whole, he's holy. He's other. He's different. His plans are so far different than yours. You and I cannot possibly see the end from the beginning, and so thus, in the same way, we bow before him. You know, and, 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 and so even, it's interesting, when you, didn't, when you don't get into the job that you wanted or didn't get into that grad program you hoped or that boy or girlfriend you hope, or you break an ankle, because he's on the throne, you hit this stump, and you actually now, maybe, I don't always do it, but once in a while I do, when I hit the stump, I say, wow, because this way is now blocked, I broke my ankle, what might this now, what might this make possible? What new thing might emerge out of this? Because my way is obviously shot. It's not going to happen. Jerry and I have been doing some reading in preparation for a, a parenting seminar we're going to sponsor at New Life here in November. And uh, one of the uh, books was written by a, name, a woman named Judy Hampton. And she was writing about being a parent of adult children. And she's writing after her parent, her, her, a SWAT team had raided her adult son's home. You think you've got problems. And so she's writing at this point about what it's like to be a parent in pain and lessons she's learned. And here's what she writes. She writes, she writes actually 10 things. I'm going to give you my top five. One, I must remind myself every day that God is in control. Two, God has allowed my circumstances, heartbreaking as they are, to change me. Three, we are not alone. God is well aware what it's like having prodigals. Look at Adam and Eve. They had it all, and God was perfect as a father. So much for all those theories. Four, God is the only one who can change our kids. We must pray to God to bring our adult children to the end of themselves and to deal with their problems. 
And fifthly, I can't put a timetable on my prayers. Some may be answered on the other side of eternity. God is faithful, and we must pray with great faith because he's working. God's on the throne. I hit a stump. But if you want God, you better be prepared to receive stumps because the throne and the stumps go together. And Jesus came into the world from a stump. That's how he came. The greatest reality and news of the universe came from a stump, Isaiah chapter 11. And most of the world resented it and missed it. Things are not as they appear. So that's why for us and through history, when people go through suffering, who understand that God is on the throne, understand the, the, the stump, whether it's disappointments or suffering of being burned at a stake or losing their jobs because of faithfulness to Christ, they have something called a blazing hope, this per ability to persevere because they know that God is on the throne and he moves through stumps. And so thus, something fills us that the world knows nothing about. It's called a blazing hope. That's why I can be in prayer and silence and it can feel like a waste of time, but I know God is on the throne and he moves through stumps. And I identify with losers and people the other world would reject, but I stay there because God is on the throne. And so what happens if you don't get the throne and the stump, you will do what Uzziah did at the end of his life, which is, you know what he did? He did have a fall right before he died. He basically got, things were getting bad in the country. He took charge of things himself. He got tired of being humble and waiting on God, and uh, he did a terrible thing. He went into the temple, and he basically said, I'm the king, I run the country, I'm now going to function as a priest for a while. He told the priest, shut up, sit down. The pr 80, 80 priests, plus the head priest, tried to stop him. He said, get out of my way. And he started offering, you know, doing the stuff for the king. He says, basically, I'm running the show here. And he lost his temper, and um, his years of serving God humbly got lost. He became proud, angry, and stubborn. And he spent the rest of his life, God struck him with leprosy, isolated, and he was a king, but he was no longer in touch. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if King Uzziah was a perfectionist, but I do know this, as one perfectionist to another, perfectionists don't like stumps. He didn't like problems coming his way. And he finally said, God, I'm going to manage you for now. See, what happens is, if you don't like stumps, you start running God. You start taking over. You now make God in your own image, and you're now in charge of your spirituality. He's no longer holy, 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 the Lord Almighty. It's you. Now, it's in the name of God. It's all wrapped up. I know I've done it also myself. When the crowds asked Jesus why he spoke in parables, why he was so tough to understand, Jesus quoted this Isaiah passage about you're going to preach and their hearts are going to get harder and they're not going to understand. And so did Paul. They both quoted this passage to under, that people would understand their ministry. And here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying this, to follow me, there is no way to eliminate that God is God. You are not and God is baffling, he is disappointing at times, he is confusing, and he is impossible for you to control. He is holy, 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 the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. That is God that you're, we are invited to surrender to. And in Jesus' day, they resented it. And in Isaiah's day, they resented it. But a glimpse of the throne and a glimpse of the stumps will transform how you look at life. It'll change everything. You know, one of the great stories I love in history is about Thomas Aquinas. It was the year 1200, 1273. 
And he was a, some of you know, Thomas Aquinas was a brilliant, he was the most brilliant theologian up to his day. And a writer, theologian, monk. And, uh, but something happened that changed his life. It brought all of his teaching and writing to an end. He was actually in church. And he had an encounter with God so significant that people wondered if too much study had driven him out of his mind. They begged him. He stopped writing. They begged him, go back to work. And here's what he said. Thomas said, I can't. And after this, Thomas barely spoke, and he appeared to be in a stunned condition. And when he was pressed, he finally said the following. Everything I have written seems like straw in comparison with what I have seen and what has been revealed to me. When you see, and I see him who is seated on a throne, everything else in our lives looks different, even the stumps. So of course, and how do we get this revelation of the throne and the stump? I don't know a quick answer. Moses got his in the middle of failure, and John in in exile as a prisoner. Paul got it in Arabia in a desert. Isaiah got it in church. Maybe you're going to get it today. Going on prayer, you know. I do know this. God's full of surprises. He shows up in the most unlikely places. But I know for me alone, for me to know he's on the throne, sitting on that throne, and I can relax and embrace the stumps, I need to be with him alone in prayer. I do. I mean, he meets me in other places too. But when I'm busy and running through life, I just can't see straight. I'm kicking, I'm calling fire trucks to get rid of the stumps in my life. I'm anybody. So I'd like to invite us here to, to wait, to be attentive, to listen to God, to come before him. We're going to have communion together. And to surrender to a holy God who sits on the throne. Not to fight him, not to try to wrestle him down, but to surrender to God who's exalted and high, who allows stumps in your life. In fact, he may have intentionally put a few stumps right there in your way. And so I want to invite the worship team. Why don't you come on forward? And I want to invite you to enter into what God is doing. You see, in Isaiah's day, God was doing something. And he invited Isaiah to receive forgiveness. I'm going to do that in just a moment. And he invites, he says, who, will, who can I send? And who will go for us? God speaks. And Isaiah says, here I am. And it's a love relationship begins. But it begins with, with, with forgiveness. So I'm going to invite you just to, to take a moment and take a deep breath, okay? Just close your eyes for a moment and take a deep breath. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. As Isaiah Isaiah sees the Lord, he then sees his sin. And he utters, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He says last week's sermon, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He's the tax collector. God have mercy on me, a sinner. So I'd like to give us an opportunity, all of us, before we take of communion. We are a people of unclean lips. And let's ask God, each of us, for forgiveness for our resentment, our angers, for its stumps, for wanting to run God's world for him. 
I'm going to invite you right now to surrender for a few moments of silence. Confess your sins. I'll confess my sins before the Lord. And so now receive forgiveness from God. As in this passage, fire from the altar. And Jesus shed his blood on that altar and died for your sins and mine. It's the greatest news of the universe, the cross. And let the fire now touch your lips and go deep into your soul and burn out all the impurities, your pride and ego, your sin. Because God's primary work is not to condemn you, but to forgive you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So receive his forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Now we've got communion tables up on the top and here in, in the um, bottom. Communion or Eucharist is a feeding of spiritual food and drink. It's actually a stump, little bread, little cup. I mean, it doesn't look like much, but it's very powerful because it, it, it illustrates so much. There's so much power in it. Jesus says, take and eat, this is my body given for you. And so we take and we eat and we say, Jesus, fill me. I, I take your life in my life. And then he says, takes the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink, and we take and we drink it. And, and he gives us, Jesus wants to give you and I a taste of heaven right now, a taste of a heavenly banquet, something, a, a revelation of God at this communion table. And uh, a place there'll be no more crying or sorrow this is a gift, and I want to invite you to receive that gift into your heart. So you're going to take the bread, you're going to dip in the cup as we worship, and you go back to your table. And some prayer teams will go up there to the left uh, if you want to go up there before the service ends. But I want to invite you, as we're worshiping and as we're taking communion, to, to be quiet, to ponder before him, and to take God in who sits on the throne in your life. So let's bow and pray as we begin. And so, Lord, we surrender to this table. We surrender to you. And we thank you for the love of Jesus, which surpasses knowledge. Who are we to come to this table of grace? It's a pure gift. So this day, Lord, we receive your mercy, your love, and your grace. Meet us, I pray, at this table. Fill us with your life. In Jesus' name.